chapter 13, verses 1 to 9, and then 18 to 23. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell along rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, and since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell, fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good, good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. If you would please join me in prayer. Lord, uh, we give you thanks and we give you praise for today. Lord, we thank you for calling us out of our beds and into worship with your bride this morning. Lord, we pray, God, that you would... Uh, be honored by our worship so far, Lord, through song and through confession of both sin and faith. Lord, we pray, God, that you would continue, Lord, to honor our worship with your presence, with your spirit, Lord, as we hear your word taught and proclaimed, Lord, as we come together to the table to make thanks for what you have done, Lord Jesus. And as we continue to sing and pray this morning, Lord, we pray, God, that our hearts and our minds and our ears would be open to hear and to understand and to believe what you have spoken. And we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Pardon me. I'm going to grab my coffee for a second. My mouth is very dry. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, so beginning today, and so for the next three Sundays, uh, we're actually going to be looking at seven of Jesus' parables within this particular chapter. All of them will be contained in Matthew 13. Um, and actually, if you have your Bibles, if you would, go ahead and turn there, because we're going to do a little bouncing around in this, in this story. Now, they're all going to be contained within your bulletin, but it will be helpful for you to see the verse numbers. So, uh, but anyway, we're going to be looking at seven parables over the next couple of Sundays, uh, three Sundays, excuse me, over the next few Sundays, not a couple. But a key word for any parable, and if you're a Bible writer or a note taker, this might be helpful, but a, par a key word for any parable is the word comparison, right? So a parable is simply a story, right? And we know this, right? Stories, and this, this story it uses examples from our everyday experiences or everyday lives 
and then compares them with a particular concept in order to help us understand that concept better. Right? So what Jesus does is he masterfully uses parables throughout all of the Gospels. And he intentionally designs each of his parables, each of these stories, to be relatable to us so that we are able to better understand our relationship with himself, our relationship with the Father, our relationship to the Gospel, the Word of the Kingdom, as he, as he says here, or our relationship to the Kingdom of Heaven itself. And so now this parable, the parable of the sower, is probably one of the most familiar parables of Jesus. I mean, most people know this even if they're not a Christian. We, we, it, it works its way into a lot of things. There's even, if you really want to know, and I don't like it, some people do, but there is even a science fiction trilogy written by an author named Octavia Butler, and they're based on these parables. And the first one is called The Parable of the Sower. So if you're wanting a science fiction series to read, go read it and tell me what you think, because I didn't really care for it. But that was just my personal you know, opinion. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is, The Parable of the Sower is probably one of the more familiar parables of Christ. And in this parable, Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to a farmer who goes out and scatters seed. Right? There's your concept, right? There's compares. There's that key word again. And so as a primarily agrarian society, so a, a society that farms and has animal husbandry, right, this comparison would have been immediately familiar to his audience. Right Now, we live in West Tennessee. I grew up in Mississippi. I know I'm calling you guys out. Sorry, my aunt and uncle are here this morning. They're from North Mississippi. Right, This whole area of the country is a very agrarian area of the country. Right Now, we do have some major cities, but you can go 15 minutes north, Get through the rest of Jackson, and you're going to see farmland everywhere. You go from Corinth to Jackson, you're going to see farmland everywhere, right? Farmland is all over the place, right? So this, this comparison is very helpful for us because we see farmland on a regular basis. And so anyone from a commercial farmer, which is mostly what we're going to see, right, all the way down to somebody who patio gardens, right, through a, through a container or whatever else, every single person that does any kind of farming or gardening knows that a seed can either be fruitful or it can be unfruitful. The same is true with the seed of the word of the kingdom, and that's what Jesus is getting at. It either grows and is fruitful, or it never takes root at all. Thank you. And so as we look at this parable today, it's helpful for us then to keep in mind that what Jesus is doing is drawing our attention to four particular conditions of our hearts. And they are, and I'll give them to you because it will help outline this whole, this whole message today, but they are the hardened heart, the rocky heart, the thorny heart, and the fertile heart. And I'll give you all four again as we go through. So in, by drawing our attention to these four conditions of the heart, Jesus, what he's doing is directing our focus on the soil condition that each seed is so, sown upon. And doing so really keeps our focus on where the issue lies when it comes to the growth and the fruitfulness of the seed of the word of the kingdom. Because you see, when most people think of farming, right, we, we assume that if, if you were to come across a, a large pasture land and see that there is no crop or even a bad crop, then you're going to assume that the farmer, the sower, did something wrong. But next week we'll see this in the parable of the weeds in verse 37 of this chapter. But Jesus tells us that he himself is the sower of the seed. So since Jesus is the sower, then the sower, the farmer, isn't the issue here. 
But also notice that the seed is not the issue. Right? If the sower is not to be blamed, then we might ask ourselves, well, maybe then the seeds are just bad. Right? These are bad quality seeds. They, weren't, they didn't preserve right or whatever, and so the seed's bad. Absolutely not. Right? The seed is good because the seed is the gospel of the word of the kingdom itself. Right? It is the word of the kingdom of heaven. And because the kingdom of heaven has come as a seed and not as a mighty army, then many people struggle to believe this gospel and to receive this gospel. But this doesn't mean that the seed is of poor quality. G.K. Chesterton once famously wrote, he said, Christianity has not been found, has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. The seed is not the problem. The sower is not the problem. The seed is good seed. The farmer is a good farmer. And since those two things aren't the problem, then the issue has to lie with the soil. Sometimes this parable is even called the parable of the soils, not the parable of the sower. Because the same seed can produce either no crop or some crop or an overabundance of crops according to the soil in which the seed has been sown. So the question then comes down to the quality of the soil, right? Soil condition has absolutely everything to do with whether or not a seed will root and then fruit. So just because a seed doesn't root doesn't mean that the seed is bad, and it doesn't mean that the farmer has done something wrong. It means, more often than not, that there might be a problem with the soil. So, for example, I will give you a great example. This year I planted, I bought some seed trays, right? And I planted, I filled them up. And I filled them up with all kinds of vegetables. You name it, I did it. Whether that be onions, eggplants, cucumbers, squash, tomatoes, watermelon, you name it, I planted it, right? Because I wanted a big old garden this year. And you know what I got out of about those 40 seeds that I sowed? I got five squash and zucchini plants, one cucumber plant, one and only one trooper of a green onion, and five tomato plants. That's all I got. <laughs> I got like 12 plants out of 40. But the problem wasn't the seeds. They were good seeds. It was the soil. I had used the wrong soil in my seed trays, and I didn't realize that until the few that did come up, I tried to transplant into my garden and realized that this soil is not good soil. <laughs> this is too loose. It's, not, it's too rocky. So the soil condition was wrong for my seeds to properly root and fruit. That's what Jesus is getting at in this entire parable. And he explains it. He gives the parable and then he explains it. And so then, if you would, again, if you're following along in your Bibles, because we are going to bounce around, we're going to look at both the parable and then immediately his explanation of each condition. So he says first about the hardened heart in verses 4 and then verse 19. He says this about the soil of the hardened heart. He says, As he sowed the word, as the sower sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. So when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, verse 19, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So this word path here should bring, a, should bring to mind a regular walking path, right? This is a footpath, right? If you want to go even more intense, imagine like our paved roads, right? This is a hard road because it's regularly trampled upon, right? So it naturally makes the ground very hard, and it makes it hard for roots to penetrate that soil. We have two dogs. Most of you have seen them, and one of them, his name is Bombadil, after Tom Bombadil from Lord of the Rings because I can't help myself. 
but he's older now, right? He can't run like he used to, but in our current location and in our previous location, he likes to run along the fence line at the dogs, the neighboring dogs, right? Now, he can't do it as well now because he's 11 and he has arthritis and he has a long back, you know, and it hurts his back. But when he gets in one of his moods and he starts to run, he will, he will kill the grass and he will pack that soil down, right? And it takes months for him to just not do it at all for grass to come back. I think when we moved out of our last place, it was like a year later and the grass still hadn't come back uh, because he uh, you know, just ran it to death. And so this is naturally hard-packed soil. Roots cannot penetrate it. Nothing can come up through it. And so because the soil is hard-packed, Jesus tells us that the seed that is left out in the open becomes fodder for the birds. Now, throughout the Old Testament and throughout a lot of Jewish literature, and we, we saw this when we were going through the book of Elijah, when Craig was teaching that in Sunday school, birds are commonly symbolic of demons, or even Satan himself. Jesus makes that initial assumption in verse 19. So with that context in mind, he says this. He says that the birds, or that demons, or Satan, then swoops down and steals the good seed of Christ and the gospel off of the pathway of the hardened heart. Because birds, more often than not, eat that which is dead. On our way here this morning, we passed a ginormous flock of vultures, right? They eat that which is dead. The hardened heart becomes no man's land, if you ever study anything about World War I the area between the trenches. The hardened heart is no man's land of spiritual warfare. And those whose hearts are hardened are easy pickings for the snipers of the enemy because they're left out in the open. But notice something in verse 19. Jesus says this. He says that the soil condition of the hardened heart completely lies within the hands of the hearer himself. He says this again. He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom... And does not understand that the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This phrase, in his heart, tells us that the word of the kingdom of heaven, the gospel itself, is sown directly into the heart of the hearer. This is what we understand as regeneration, right? This is what Paul gets at in Ephesians chapter 2. So the word of the kingdom is sown directly into the heart of the hearer, but the heart, because it has been hardened, cannot receive it. It has been hard-packed against the influence of the gospel. And so Jesus states here, he says, this person hears the word and does not understand it, meaning that they not, have not only heard the word and not only had it sown within their heart, but they've pondered it in their minds. They've chewed on it. But instead of believing it, they spit it out. They reject it. And by doing so, Jesus says, they, are, they have directly made themselves responsible and vulnerable to the evil one who will gladly come along and take that which is on the path and take away their understanding of the gospel that has been sown in their hearts. So because of their hardened hearts, they have rejected Christ and they have rejected the word of the kingdom of heaven and they have willingly opened themselves up to the influence of the enemy. Church father Cyril of Alexandria writes this. He says, those who have in themselves a mind and a heart hardened and packed tight do not receive the divine seed, but become a well-trodden path for, the, for unclean spirits. They have not set their minds to understand the mystery of our communion with Christ. These people have willingly closed off their ears, they've closed off their hearts, and therefore they ignore verse 9 here where Jesus says, He who has ears, let him hear. They ha do not have the ears to hear, they do not have the mind to understand, and they do not have the heart to believe. That is the hardened heart.
But then next, Jesus gives us another soil condition. It's a rocky soil. And he says, this is a rocky heart. And so he says this, not rocky Balboa, right? Rocky as in like, you know, rocks on the ground. And so he says this. He says, verse 5, other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up. And since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Over in verse 20, he says this, And as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So there are many places in Palestine, and really climates like it, that have areas of ground where there is just a layer of limestone or bedrock just beneath the surface. Right There may be an inch or two of soil, but otherwise it's completely hard and rocky. So in this layer of rock, what it does is it blocks, this, the, it blocks the water, it blocks the moisture from being able to actually drain into the ground. And it always remains close to the surface of the soil. So when it rains, then, a, a rocky soil can become very saturated very fast. But the moment that the sun comes out, especially that hot Middle Eastern sun, that ground bakes, and that water evaporates away. And so these climate conditions require, then, that a plant, when they develop their roots, it requires that their roots go way down deep into the soil, both to find water, but also to be protected from the hot sun. But the bedrock... It prevents these roots from doing so. And since there is no depth of soil, the roots, as Jesus tells us here in verses 5 and 6, they're unable to survive. So think of just immediately the spiritual implications of this as believers. Our dry season, our hard time is this time of exile. It's the time between the advents of Christ. Right? Deep roots into Christ Jesus and into his word and into, into his church are necessary. And they're necessary for us to survive when we are rejected and persecuted and hated by the world, right? This is Jesus' point when he explains the meaning of this rocky soil. And so notice, he places some emphasis here in verses 20 and 21 on this idea of immediate. There are immediate results from the seed that lands on the rocky heart. He states, the one who hears the word, they immediately receive it with joy. A plant that is able to root, even for a very, very short time, will quickly begin to grow, right? It'll quickly start to show signs of, of life, right? Again, I had very few grow out of my seed trays, but I did have a few start to shoot up and they immediately died because the soil was wrong. But a rocky heart, a rocky soil, it's different than the hardened heart that we just looked at because we see here that the refusal to hear the word and to believe it in the hardened heart has now been replaced with joy, a rocky heart has not only heard the word of the kingdom, but it has understood the word of the kingdom. And it is even, in some ways, accepted the word of the kingdom because it receives it with joy, Jesus tells us here. But there's an issue with this because he tells us, he says, the rocky heart, the rocky soil is one that has been impressed by the person and work of Jesus and his message, but they've not really believed it to be true. They briefly claim Jesus, not out of faith, but rather out of the excitement of his miracles, or even because it's just the thing to do in that moment. This seems really neat. I'm going to follow him. But regardless, their acceptance, Jesus tells us, is very temporary. And we see this in how he describes 
this heart condition. He says in verse 21, again, he says, because he has no root in himself, he'll endure for a while, but when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word of the kingdom, immediately he falls away. This Greek word that Matthew uses here for falls away can also mean to take offense, which I find kind of interesting. Because then it means that the rocky heart then, it takes offense when persecution comes up. Right? I'm being persecuted for Jesus. I'm offended by that. So am I offended by the persecution or am I offended by Christ? Jesus is telling us this person is offended by Christ. Because this person, they have heard the word, they've received it with joy, but tribulation and persecution has arised or has arisen, but they weren't expecting persecution. They weren't listening to Christ when he said, you will be hated on my account. Right? When they were promised eternal life and peace in Christ, they didn't want persecution. They didn't expect rejection. They didn't expect to be divided from their friends and their family because they claimed Jesus. So they took offense at Jesus, and they fall away. Here's another way to look at it. The rocky heart is the one who receives the word of the kingdom in a very thoughtless way. They've not pondered it. And while they might show immediate signs of life without good roots, and because of the pressures of persecution, like a sun beating down on a rootless plant, persecution and rejection reveal the shallowness of their soil of their heart. And they wither and they fall away from Christ and they die without him. And as I was looking at this, I thought directly that this speaks directly to any of us that are familiar or grew up in youth group culture or VBS. Not because those ministries aren't good, but we have all had friends that have converted and have fallen away. Because for them, it was either no longer beneficial in their minds to follow after Christ, or it just became too hard to be identified with what Christ requires. And this is heartbreaking for those of us that know people like this. We all have friends that are like this. I have friends from high school that you would have thought would have gone on to be pastors, <laughs> that not only now no longer accept Christ, but they have outright rejected Christ. And so that while it's heartbreaking for us, for those that do believe and who have seen these friends fall away, this should serve as a caution for us in how we present the gospel and the word of the kingdom to people. Because we need to be very clear that life in Christ is indeed eternal and it is rewarding, but the kingdom of heaven is not concerned with worldly things. It is concerned with eternal righteousness before God in Christ Jesus. We neglect that when we share the gospel with people. Come to Christ and everything will be fine. Everything may not be fine in this life, but it definitely will be fine in, in the life to come. So when asked to suffer or when persecution comes, which Jesus, again, has promised us will happen, the rocky heart abandons Christ. It's too hard. Discipleship becomes too costly. And so the rocky heart falls away. It takes offense. But then third, we have the thorny heart, the, the seed that was sown among the thorns. And Jesus says this. He says in verse 7, Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them out. And then in verse 22, For what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of, deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Some commentators attempt to be too graceful with this one, in my opinion, right? They attempt to be too caring because they assume, and they assume absolutely wrongly, that Jesus is being kind 
toward these people. And he's speaking, he's speaking particularly of a believer who just happens to be fruitless, right? He's speaking of a Christian who truly is a Christian, but they're just a casual Christian, right? They're a cultural Christian. I think they're absolutely wrong. Because the rationale for this, they say, is, well, if you look at this parable and you look at Jesus' explanation, then he is not direct in these verses that this person has not understood the word or that this person has fallen away, right? He doesn't say that. He just says it chokes them out. But that assumption ignores everything that Jesus has ever said about the fruit of a believer in Christ. Just a few chapters before this, in Matthew chapter 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus insists, he does not suggest, he does not give a nudge to or a wink to, he demands that every healthy tree bears good fruit. And then in John chapter 15, when he's talking about being the vine and we're the branches, he says that bearing fruit is obligatory for, for discipleship in him meaning that it's mandatory, it's required. God demands fruit from his people. And those who bear no fruit, no fruit, like the one sown among the thorns, prove that they are not disciples of Christ. And while works don't grant us salvation, they do show that we have been converted. They show that, we are, that it is the result of our salvation in Christ. And so if persecution is the problem for the rocky heart, then prosperity is the problem for the thorny heart, right? It's the cares of the world. It's the allure of riches. It's the allure of possessions or stature or power or influence or whatever you want to add to that list, right? These things can choke out the life of a thorny heart, preventing it from being fruitful for Christ. In the Greek, this word for deceitfulness can also mean to delight, which seems opposite, but it means the same thing. It means that riches are a deceptive pleasure. The riches of life are seductive, like the foreign woman of Proverbs. And the seductiveness of prosperity can easily choke the life out of a believer, leading to an unfruitful life. So by being fruitless, the thorny heart proves that it has not truly believed in the message of the word of the kingdom of heaven. This heart simply never allows the word to have any influence in their lives. It gives them no direction. Because life simply has too many commitments. It has too many demands to adhere to the demands of Christ. And so these commitments choke out the roots, and the plant never matures, and so as a result it dies and it never bears fruit. But then finally, Jesus tells us, he says, but there is a good kind of soil, and it is called good soil or fertile soil. And this is what the fertile heart looks like. And he says, so other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some 100, some 60, and some 30. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. So, going back to this idea of the, of the context and, and the agrarian society, this kind of yield would have been surprising for Jesus' audience. Right? For them, a yield of about 10 to 1 was a pretty good yield. Right? This, this, is, this is normal, this is expected. Meaning that the numbers that he lists here, particularly the first two, far outseed the expected results of a crop, right? They're going to sow some seed, they're going to expect to get something, but this is, this is outrageous, right? So for our understanding, just think of it like a stalk of corn, right? 
So we were at the farmer's market yesterday, and there were not only truck beds full, but trailer beds just full of ears of corn. Like, there was so much corn. And so from a very basic Google search, and when I say very basic Google search, I mean I Googled, the, I Googled this question, and I saw the answer, and I moved on. I didn't do any, any hard research, right? And somebody might know this better than me, so if you do, you can correct me afterwards. But from a very basic Google search, a stalk of corn, one stalk of corn, will produce about 6 to 10 ears of corn on its stalk from what I have read. Again, it's a very simple reading, but there you go. So in the case of this parable then, so imagine that six to 10 is this 30-fold, right? It is the normal, expected, acceptable good yield of a stalk of corn. But now imagine though that some single stalks, instead of yielding six to 10, yield 50 or yield 100, right? That's not only a really good crop, that is an unimaginable and a miraculous crop. That is, again, an outrageous amount of corn. Most normal ear stalks of corn would not even be able to stand up under that kind of weight. And so what Jesus is telling us here about the fruitful heart or the fertile heart is that when the word of the kingdom does take root in the soil of a fertile heart, that fruit becomes unimaginable that it bears. It becomes a miraculous in number. And so by giving us, though, this hundredfold and sixtyfold and thirtyfold, what Jesus is telling us is that some of us will bear fruit that is over and abundant, right? It will, be, it will be miraculous and outrageous. While others, if you can call fruit for the kingdom of heaven normal, others will bear normal-sized fruit. But the meaning is clear, and he's being very merciful here. He says, whether you are over and abundant or you are normal, any fruit bearing for the kingdom of heaven is a good work of the believer, and it brings glory to God. But the seed has fallen on fruitful soil, and it will grow, and it will yield. These first three kinds that he lists, they, these, these people are unfit for belief in Christ because they have rejected him. Discipleship costs too much. And despite certain outward appearances, Jesus tells us plainly that not one of them have ever truly believed in him or in the word of the kingdom. Telling us something very important, that what matters is not a profession of faith, but perseverance in the faith. That's what matters. We were getting at this at the end of Sunday school this morning, but we were running out of time, and so I kept my mouth shut. Right? This idea of perseverance is completely contrary to the revivalistic tendencies of modern evangelicalism. Because the modern church, particularly in the West, does not disciple people to persevere. They look for numbers and professions for flashy statistics. Right? How many people walk the aisle this week? That doesn't matter anything if they wither and fall away or are choked out by the concerns of life. Perseverance is what matters. And so the parable of the sower provides the church with a sober reminder that even the most enthusiastic outward response to the gospel is no guarantee that a person has believed it. Only perseverance in the faith, the presence of fruit, prove that a profession of faith is genuine. There's one other feature that I want to mention, and I think this is really helpful. And then we'll come to the table. And it's the kind or the type of sowing that's taking place in this parable. So as you come to this parable, you might be saying, okay, you know, Jesus is telling us about the kingdom of heaven. He's telling us about belief in him, belief in the gospel. But I'm reading this story, and I'm seeing this sower, and he's losing a lot of seed, right? He's going out. And he's losing some on the pathways, he's losing some among the rocks, he's losing some among 
The thorn bushes, right? This is an absolute waste of seed. What is this sower doing? So in our minds, and this is why we need to look at the kind of farming that's happening. In our minds, again, we live in a very agrarian area of the country. And when we think of farming, we think of plowing up the ground and then going behind it and sowing seed, fertilizing, watering, and waiting. But this kind of sowing is an ancient form of sowing, and some people still do it in certain cultures today. This is called broadcast sowing. I have a great picture of me on Facebook from when we lived in Georgia. We were moving, and I had a whole bunch of bird seed that the, that the, that the, um, the bag just wasn't going to make the move, right? It was going to fall apart. So one of my profile pictures, if you want to go look at it, it's me dancing like this with seed flying out of my hand. But that's broadcast sowing, right? So, so what would happen is that a farmer would go among his field, and he would have the seed bag, and he would just throw the seed. He'd throw it, and it would fall wherever it would fall. And then he would come behind it and plow it into the ground. He would till it into the ground. And so while the soil conditions might have varied, the good seed went everywhere because the seed is good. So just consider for a moment how this relates to our work as the church in both evangelism and discipleship because both is represented in this parable. The good seed of Christ and the good seed of the kingdom of heaven are sown. The soil itself is responsible for how that seed is received. But the sower, this time being us, must also come back and plow or till in the seed into that healthy soil. So for us as the church, our job in evangelism is to go and to sow. Right? We, we should be throwing the gospel everywhere, regardless of how it is received. But then our job in discipleship, which is the part that's forgotten, is to till that soil into the till that seed into the good soil in the ground. And so there's two ways to really respond here. As individuals, the parable of the sower demands each of us to ask and answer some questions. Like, what kind of soil is my heart made of? Is it hard? Is it rocky? Is it thorny? Or is it good? Is it fertile? And do I have ears to hear and to understand? Because the Lord does indeed give us ears to hear and to understand. But, and this came up in Sunday school too, we have to ask for it. So ask and knock and you shall receive. That is a promise of Christ. But as the gathered church, right? As the corporate body of, of Jesus, this parable forces us to remember that the kingdom comes gently. And it comes like a seed. God's work is slow and it is gentle. And unless he builds the house, we read in Psalm 127, and those who labor are building it in vain. God, through the work of his church, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is sowing the word among all kinds of soil. And many will respond unfaithfully. But others will respond in faith. And they will respond in the obedience and the perseverance that will bear much fruit. So let the one who has ears to hear and to believe hear what Christ has said. Is your heart hard? Then don't allow Satan to steal the word of the kingdom from your heart before you understand it. Is it rocky? Then do not reject what you have proclaimed in joy, but instead be rooted in Christ, be rooted in his word and in his church, so that you do not endure the scorching heat of persecution alone. Is your heart being choked out by the thorns of life? 
then turn your cares and your concerns completely on Christ and bear fruit for Him. And is your heart fertile? Then sow and plow. Evangelize and disciple. And bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. To the glory of God and to the praise of Christ Jesus our Lord.